You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Where I live in the Northern Hemisphere, I live in London. It's pretty cold these days. We're moving into autumn. It's just been um, the equinox and it feels like we're going into a new season. Um, I'm wondering what it's like where you are. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Um, this episode is going to be talking about couples and relationships, and it's a part three to um, two earlier episodes. This is in partly in response to a listener question who asked about moving to where she had family. So she currently lives in a part of the country, not this country actually, um, in a part of the country far away from her own um, family of origin and other extended family who would be able to help with her three young children. But if she moved back, it would be very difficult for her husband to continue with his current role. So this is all about um, how do we make decisions together? How can we negotiate and have constructive discussions and, and conflict? And how can we come to a mutual understanding? How do we make decisions together and not become resentful? How do we authentically represent ourselves? So here, I'm going to start off by referencing the work of John Gottman. So him and his wife, Julie Gottman, have set up an institute um, called the Gottman Institute. And I'm going to refer to some work of his from a book called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. This is a book by John Gottman and Nan Silver. Now, this is not just specific to marriages. This is about any um, love relationships. So this is is actually a great book about um what principles you can focus on to make your marriage work or your relationship work. So not looking at what makes relationships fail, but rather looking at the more positive things about what can we do to make our relationships succeed. And they explode some popular myths about what makes a marriage work. And I'm going to read you a couple of sentences from this book. Perhaps the biggest myth of all is that communication, and more specifically, learning to resolve your conflicts, is the royal road to romance and an enduring happy marriage. Whatever a marriage therapist's theoretical orientation, whether you opt for short-term therapy, long-term therapy, 
or a three-minute radio consultation with your local Frasier, the message you'll get is pretty uniform. The sweeping popularity of this approach is easy to understand. When most couples find themselves in a conflict, they each gird themselves to win the fight. They become so focused on how they feel, on proving that they're right and that their spouse is wrong, or on keeping up a cold shoulder that the lines of communication between the two may be overcome by static or shut down altogether. So it seems to make sense that calmly and lovingly listen to each other, listening to each other's perspective would lead couples to find compromise solutions and regain their marital composure. So after studying um, in this in this book, they referenced that they studied 650 couples. They found that what actually the most successful component of a successful relationship was a deep friendship. So this book will will debunk a whole lot of different myths, and I'm not going to go through all of that with you. But what I want to talk about is the basis of a good relationship and friendship and how we can actually tend to that, create that. So you might be sitting there thinking, why is she talking about building a friendship when we're trying to understand how to make decisions and um, resolve issues. And I want to kind of take a few steps back and focus on the friendship aspect because really nourishing that part of the relationship and really having an understanding of each other, focusing on each other's, um, what, you know, goals and aspirations and making meaning together in one's life are what makes the marriage have a good friendship and what makes you both feel seen. And so naturally, when you're cultivating that side of the relationship, it will be more easy to have useful discussions and conflict rather than just being in constant screaming matches where nothing um, gets resolved. So let's talk about friendship and some of the ways we can cultivate that and work on understanding each other's experience so that we can be supportive. And then I'm going to give you one other pointer about uh, an idea that I got from Esther Perel, and then I'll give you a kind of a tool that can be very useful for making decisions. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about mentalization. So mentalization is really an expansion of attachment theory. It's been developed by Peter Fanaghi and Anthony Bateman, so Fanaghi and Bateman. And these um, researchers coined this term mentalization. It refers to the ability to reflect upon and to understand one's state of mind. I've talked about it briefly in one of the other episodes, but I want to kind of give a bit more detail about this because I think it's really important to for relationships. And we start to understand about having uh, why we're feeling the way we are. So we have insight into what we are feeling, to our state of mind and why. And it's assumed to be a very important coping skill. It is a very important coping skill. It's necessary for effective emotional regulation. And Fanaghi and Bateman propose that this is an important skill that gets developed by um, watching our parents model it for us. So the that parents, caregivers, observe their children's behavior and their, um, I'm going to read you from a paper, their insightful understanding of their children's experience, coupled with the feedback to the children about that experience, provides a useful model to their children. So it helps, It when we do that for our children, it helps our children to pay attention to their experience, to notice what bodily sensations are coming up. When we um, say, oh, you're having a really difficult time, it looks like you're really angry, they can start to understand what's happened in their body at the same time as having that feeling of anger. And obviously we don't get this right um, a lot of the time because we, we are supposing in a sense. We're, we're kind of, um, we're imagining how we might feel in the situation that our child is in. 
And this modeling, ultimately, after many, many, many thousands, possibly even millions of interactions, culminates in the children, in our children, learning to reflect upon and to understand their own states of mind. This is an important part of secure attachment. So this progression from the assisted to independent observation of self depends on a healthy and consistent emotional interaction between children and caregivers. These researchers say that such healthy interactions can only occur when secure attachment is present. Now, many of us listening here, um, myself included, I would not have classed myself as securely attached. Granted, there's a lot of um, variation in how we behave in different relationships. So we might behave in a more attached, uh, securely attached way in some relationships. But growing up, I was certainly, I was certainly insecurely attached. And I have become, I have got what I would describe as earned secure attachment, which we will talk more about in the future. Why this is important is because within the context of marriages, long-term love relationships, it is really important to have an understanding of what the other person is experiencing and what we are both bringing to the relationship. Now, often, if we have a low self-esteem or we don't regard ourselves, we don't kind of take that much regard for ourselves, we may not understand that we have impact. I see this time and time again, where we think that we're not having an impact and it's because we don't kind of take account of ourselves. And I want to assure all of you that you do have an impact and starting to understand some of that is really important. So first of all, mentalization is very important for ourselves to start to develop the ability to tune into our own experience, to understand what's going on for ourselves. Why might that be going on? And in the context of a marriage, it's really useful to expand our reach and, and conceive of what is going on for the other person. So we don't all have the same minds. We have not all had the same experiences. And so everyone will have something different going on in the situation. And it's helpful in stimulating empathy and understanding to kind of put ourselves in the other person's shoes to see what's going on for them. Now, obviously, you don't know that for sure, but it helps with being compassionate and being more collaborative to mentalize about the other person as you actually do, um, as you would be doing for your children. Because when you're the other day, I mean, this is a uh, sort of a brief, small example, but um, we have a car where you put the brake on with a, with like a, a button and the car turns on with a button. And, um, my daughter loves to do that. So sometimes my husband lets her do that. I'm not overly keen on that, but anyway. And one of my daughters did that. She put the brake on and then she turned the car off. And the, I, my other daughter went into a total, like, I don't know, meltdown. A lot of screaming and rage. And at first I was like, what's going on here? This feels like it's come from nowhere. But I realized that she also wanted to participate in the, the, the car action, um, either to do one of them or that she could do it next time or that it's, it's very complicated with twins, to be honest, and sibling fighting. But when I said to her, Oh, you felt really angry. You wanted to, um, well, you feel really angry. I can see you really wanted to have a chance with that. She's like, yes, she gets to do it all. Da, 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 da. And it brought up a whole lot of stuff. So in the end, what we did was we had a do over for her and she went back outside and she turned it on and off again. <laughs> now, you know, you may have a lot of opinions about how we did that, but the point is I was mentalizing for my one daughter to figure out what had gone on for her because her behavior is is um, information about what she's feeling. Um, and it's very useful in relationships because we are all having different experiences. And in order to maintain a, 
an adult love relationship, we have to understand some of our impact and to be able to imagine what that might be like for that person. Because that's really the basis of, of feeling understood and seen. And both experiences can exist alongside each other. So let me give you a quick example. Um, when my husband used to travel a lot for work, and particularly when my children were younger, it would really, really take it out of me because doing like even the act of getting two babies up the stairs, at some points I could carry them, both of them myself, but I would have to do it. Um, you know, one baby, then the next baby and, and then try and bath them. And it was very tricky bathing tiny twins, um, until we got bath seats. But before that, they couldn't sit in them. It was just very tricky, basically. And so, and they used to vomit a lot. So there'd be a lot of, um, things that have to kind of deal with and tidy up and da, da, da. So sometimes when he would come back, he would be looking forward to seeing us and I would literally explode when he got home. So. I would have like a lot of rage basically. And, um, he would have been excited to see us and have missed us. And I would just not have any space for that experience. And it got to the point where he said to me, sometimes he feels worried about coming home because he's not sure what he'll find or like, what am I going to say? Or how's it going to have been? And when, you know, if things have been, you know, how some days in parenting, it all is just, uh, you know, it's just very tricky. And, um, I really had to start understanding what I was putting out in terms of um, my responses to him when he came home, that he he needs to work, this is his job, he needs to do this for his job, and that I really had to work on my emotional containment, on having healthy ways to express what was going on for me, to work a lot more on my own regulation so that it didn't take so much out of me, so to get um, help or to get kind of childcare during the day in those times so that I could go for a swim or um, have an Epsom salt bath or go for a walk or go for a walk with the girls so that like often actually going for a walk when they were little in their buggy before supper time would be a good thing because then I'd get a big dose of regulation from being outside. But my point is, is that it was really important for our friendship and our marriage that I really worked on not gaslighting his experience first and not sort of saying, well, it's easy for you because you've been staying in nice hotels, you know, in a lovely city, blah, blah, blah. And to really honor that and understand my impact and mentalize so that I could kind of be there for his experience and understand what it was like to come home to this. And of course, this applies the other way as well. So, you know, it's not, it's not a one way street. Whoever's listening to this podcast in the relationship, or maybe you both are, but it's not all up to the one person. We both need to have this experience of being, of our experience being, um, kind of seen for what it is. And, um, that's really helped the more compassion and kindness in our relationship, the more our friendship has kind of deepened. And we're actually much more able to bond then over the challenges of parenthood rather than being divisive between us about who's doing more. So I would really suggest that you try and um, consider this. Now, mentalization may be very difficult for you because if this was not done for you, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a skill that we learn in childhood from our parents modeling it for us. So if it wasn't done for you, it's something we have to learn. We have to kind of learn to understand our state of mind, to understand why we might be feeling like this, to understand that it's okay, to allow ourselves to reflect more on our inner world, essentially. And I think that can be a really, really helpful contributing factor to, to the friendship of the marriage because you are 
you are building a solid base of, of mutual, even if it's not understanding, it's, it's giving each other space because it's, this is a big both and both of you are going to have a different experience. Both of you are allowed to have space for those experiences. It's not a competition between you. One kind of quick idea, which I think I got from Esther Peril, but it's not from her book, uh, Mating in Captivity. I think it's, I, don't, I think it's from a talk I heard. And she talks about the concept of triangulating. And I think this is a lovely, lovely thing to kind of help you remember about why you are with your partner and, and also um, help with the friendship because sometimes we can get deep into feeling resentful and kind of um, just annoyed and thinking like, oh, why, what, what's going on here? And she suggests this idea of triangulating, which is looking at your partner through someone else's eyes and seeing um, all the pluses about them and what, you know, what, what they bring. And I find that a really useful tool to sometimes use. Even if you watch your partner walking, if you're in an airport or something and you just watch them and you observe them if you didn't know them and then to kind of look at them and think about all their good points. And I find that can sometimes be a way to um, alleviate resentment or to just kind of refocus and reframe a bit from a, on, onto, a, onto positive aspects because there's a, like that sort of saying that I don't know who said it, but there's that thing about, would you rather be right or happy? And I would rather be happy. I'm not sure about you, but I would rather be happy. I do love being right, but that used to be something that felt really important. It's much less important now. I don't need to be right. And so helping myself like stop being pain in the neck, basically, is something that can be quite helpful and and triangulating helps with that. Okay. Then lastly, I want to just share a tool that can be very useful. So this particular question from a reader is about moving. And this is a tool that we found very helpful. It's a, it's a tool I learned from a therapist years ago, actually. Very practical tool where you can get things out and write them down. It's very simple, actually, but it's really quite magical what um, some of the output has been. When we moved house, we looked at a bunch of houses and um, we really needed to get out of where we lived because we lived in a top two floors of a Victorian house. So there was no lift. I couldn't do the the double buggy. It was a complete nightmare. And um, we saw a bunch of houses and, and some of them had better space in a way than the house we landed up in. Two particularly, which I would have, well, I would preferred one and my husband preferred the other. But from a location point of view, they were not that close to, like you couldn't take the buggy and walk out and go and get a hot chocolate somewhere or there wasn't a playground close by. So we did this exercise. So the exercise is, so if you say, want to quit your job, or in this case, this person, this thinking about moving, pros and cons of staying where you are, and then the pros and cons of moving. And you can even do it from each different person's perspective. What it really helps with is because it's an exercise that can be like a living document. So get a piece of A4 paper, do pros and cons for the one option, pros and cons for the other, and then add to it. Like have it as a living document between you for a week where you just keep on adding like what would be a pro of staying or if you're, if you're thinking about a job, what would be the pro, what are the pros of staying in this job and be ruthlessly honest. There's no kind of benefit in holding back here. Like really think about all the pros of staying in this job and all the cons and really again, be really interested. And then you go to what's the other side? What is the other option? What are the pros and cons of either moving or what are the pros and cons of leaving this job and write it all out. 
and do it together. We've done this a number of times over of, of different decisions and it gets very collaborative because also if you want to have your point of view win out sometimes or you want to be right or you, you feel very invested in a certain way, it's difficult to then collaborate because you feel so wedded to your own outcome. And it can be helpful to kind of let go of that idea of the outcome and even acknowledge, like I, I acknowledge that in the, I really wanted from a heart place, this other, this other house, but in a head place, I could see where we ultimately bought was much better. And in the end, my head and my heart joined after we did this exercise and talked really honestly about things and honestly and non-defensively. So. I think this is a brilliant exercise. And then you can just keep on adding to it and keep on rereading it and keep on seeing if that, that is still a true pro, that is still a true uh, con. And you can even do that multiple times because you sometimes come up with different answers. So I hope that's given you a little bit of food for thought. Please don't be sort of unkind to yourself if you find mentalization difficult. You may be teaching it to yourself in adult life. And it's part of Getting yourself earned secure attachment in adult life, um, mentalization is a key part of that. Starting to really understand, validate, value, and nurture your own experience. And yeah, I'd love to hear any pointers you have um, or how you're getting on. And um, take good care as you go into your week. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.